Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I want to have fun this week on Hot Takes on a Plate here on the Believe Podcast Network. I want to get back to the hot takes. I want to get back to debating my culinary world friends in their areas of expertise. And since we're all cooking right now and cooking a lot more than we ever have before, I thought, why not bring in somebody who knows a heck of a lot about cooking who can bring the fun? I'm talking about my friend Frankie Salenza, who you may know from Taste Made, his hit show, Struggle Meals. But I've actually known Frankie a little bit longer than that. You know, I remember Frankie back when he was doing local TV in New York, NYC TV. And Frankie, I bring that up because people may not know this about you because now you're this big star. But you used to have to do a lot of heavy lifting when you started out and you were on NYC TV and you were on local TV. You were a one-man wrecking crew. You were the production. You were all of it. And right now, it almost feels like we're going full circle back to that in this quarantine state where people are having to improvise and basically make their own TV shows from their homes. Hi, Rob. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. Sorry I if that was a long wind up there. That was a little. I'm, I'm, oh, it's uh, all good. <laughs> I remember your days of uh, local TV too. Uh, uh, we met at uh, the New York Emmy Awards. I think we both picked up three that night. So it was uh, it was really awesome. Hashtag um, humble brag. <laughs> humble brag. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely coming full circle. The whole thing with NYC TV and the reason I got into this in the first place is because I, I always enjoyed cooking. I loved cooking. I, I started this thing where I would undercut the NYU meal plan and have people come to my apartment and cook for them and tell them the history and the uh, myths of whatever dish I was making. And sort of that's how I got into this because people would be like, you should film this. And I'm like, hmm, I have the ability to do exactly what you just said. Maybe I should do this. So doing everything myself was, was great and getting it going because I knew it weeded out a lot of people that would say to themselves, you know what, that's just too much work. Um, the advantage then when I moved to Tastemade was I was able to work with, uh, all the crews there, um, really, really well, because I have, I had done all of their jobs at a smaller level at some point. So communication is great. I wasn't just, I didn't just get brought in and I don't know why anyone's there. I know why everybody's there and now coming full circle again. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. The people that have already done everything for themselves in media can now go right back to it. And they're going to have uh, a higher quality product much sooner than the people that maybe had uh, a lot of people working around them achieved some success. And now those people aren't around them. They're going to have a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's happening. But yeah, I was, I was coming up with the plan for how I'm going to uh, do it all myself again uh, for the next couple months. I'm pretty sure 2020 shot, by the way. Yeah, it's a, but I will say this. As hard as the media landscape and, quite frankly, all landscapes are right now because of what's going on with a global pandemic, I feel like you are uniquely positioned for this time with the content you do, much more than I am. You know, when I was doing food TV and all the stuff that I had going in terms of pitches with food TV, it was travel log, it was going places. There's nowhere to go right now. You, on the other hand, not only are you doing cooking skills that people need more than ever now, but like with a show like Struggle Meals, 
I mean, it was it was it was made for quarantine. It's hey, you've got these ingredients on hand. Hey, you know, maybe you don't have the best, most expensive ingredients, but you can still make something delicious. Like you are uniquely positioned right now. I feel like it's very serendipitous, um, and it continues to become uh, relevant even with the changes. So when the pandemic first hit, what I noticed was all the frozen fruit and vegetables. And pre-made stuff was sold out. Puff pastry wasn't for whatever reason. All the canned goods gone, you know. And and I I went to Tastemade and we had a little chat. We decided to make all the episodes available for free with the written episodes so that everybody could use this as a resource. How how so? I mean, we've got episodes on dried beans instead of canned beans. So you know, there's ways of using the stuff that people haven't flocked to in the supermarket that our show dealt with. Now the supermarkets seem to be pretty stocked again, with the exception of flour and yeast. Uh, but it's still a good resource because incomes have gone down. So being at around two fifty three bucks a plate per person is still totally relevant. Yeah, it's it's fortunate. It started as a college kid, you know, just out of school show, maybe single parent show, and now it seems like it's applicable to the whole country because now you've got a bunch of people that have to do it. So the skills are going from maybe non-existent average in the country to existent. It's good. Bad for restaurants, unfortunately. I'm really not looking forward to what happens to the New York City scape over the next couple of years. It's going to be a little sidebar, but the two things that made New York so, so great, uh, the subway, get anywhere in the city for $275, and restaurants, and call it theater and shows for that matter. All of that involved cramming tons of people together. I just, I don't think it's coming. And sporting events. I mean, yeah. same with sports. The U.S. Open is going to be canceled. All right, but I said this was going to be fun, Frankie. I'm yes. tired of being depressed. I'm tired of my audience being depressed. We are going to have some fun today. And one of the things I've always done on this podcast in the short existence it's been around is I do a thing called Tell Me I'm Right, Tell Me I'm Wrong, where I drop a hot take at my guest, and my guest has to tell me why I'm right or wrong. So I'm going to start. These are all cooking things, things I think about, especially right now in quarantine. Just so to be clear, I know none of these people. I'm excited. You know none of these people? No, I know none of these, comma, people to your viewers. I know none of the questions oh. you're about to yes. ask. Yes, yes, correct, Rob's correct. Viewers and okay, okay. <laughs> Number one, roasting pans are overrated. I'm so sorry, but like, if I want to roast a chicken, I'm going to get way better results in a cast iron pan or with a roasting rack on a baking sheet. If I want to roast vegetables, give me a cast iron pan, give me a baking sheet. A roasting pan is not something you need. It is a waste of space. When you think about a chicken and the way the roasting pan comes up on the sides and it just doesn't heat the bottom. You get gummy chicken bottoms. You, it just doesn't do anything for me. A roasting pan is so overrated. Get it out of my kitchen. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. The amount of times I use a roasting pan is it's between one and zero times per year. I'm a fan of the sheet tray. I agree yes. with the high sides. Why block yes. you know, convection heat blowing around? Why create a partial steam environment when, when yes. you have full uh, surface area exposure? Um, it, it encourages, for example, if you're roasting vegetables, a, ro a roasting pan encourages you really putting more vegetables than you should in there. 
like two or three layers, which means mm-hmm. you're not going to get even crispiness. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, my mother-in-law. Okay, so now I, I need you to chime in on this one. I got, I'm got i quarantining right now currently with my in-laws. And I got into a little debate with my mother-in-law along these lines because I was going to roast a chicken one night and um, she didn't like my technique, which was in a cast iron pan because I like the way the cast iron pan retains heat mm-hmm. and it helps cook the bottom. She said, no, 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 you need to put it in a Dutch oven with a lid on it. And I was like, <gasps> Like, why would I do that? I'm steaming the chicken, basically. Like, what? I, I, I mean, I don't. Huh? I listen. A Dutch oven in the oven is really great if you're making bread, as I'm sure you know, with the top on, because all this, all the water that's evaporating off the bread is then being forced to stay in there. But if you do that and you preheat the cast iron uh, Dutch oven, you preheat it to 450. Let's say you put your dough in there. You cook it for 40 minutes and then you take the top off. Guess what? It's still blonde as blonde could be. And then you have to cook it with the top off to actually get the crisping. So yes, I'm with you on that one too. Why would you want to put a chicken inside of a thing like that? You're going to have soggy and pasty skin. Well, here's the thing. I cooked it my way and my father-in-law said, how did you get the chicken so juicy? (laughs) And now I'm in trouble. (laughs) Oh boy. So do they have a shed there or what? Because it sounds like you're heading there. (laughs) No, but they got a big freezer in the basement. All right. Next one. Next one. My quarantine cooking MVP. Now, listen, I've got a lot of staples, a lot of go-tos that I feel like I always need in my pantry. I always need lemons. I always need onions, lots and lots of onions. These are all things that are versatile that I love having. But what I have learned, not that I didn't know this was a valuable ingredient already because I use it a lot, but I'm not kidding you. I go through a bottle a week. My quarantine MVP is extra virgin olive oil. Yeah. It is such a versatile thing. I mean, you're making a salad dressing. You just want something to dip bread in. You're, you know, uh, you know, roasting Sauteing something in the oven, right? You're, you're roasting yes. brownness to a dough on and on. Uh, it just keeps going. It's my MVP. I don't know. I, I mean, basically what I'm asking you, tell me I'm right, tell me I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, what's your MVP? Your so quarantine I, cooking let's, MVP. Let's, let's uh, specify this category a little bit. For, for fats, yeah, olive oil is my number one. That's it. But Period. just in general, if you said, all right, quarantine cooking MVP, my most valuable player in the kitchen right now. And don't, I'm not going to count salt because salt and, salt's a given. So just throw that aside. Salt and olive oil are in the same category, Rob, though. It's like, you know, they help you make something, but it isn't a meal in it itself. Right. It's like if I bought really awesome tires and I don't have a bicycle or a car. But How can diff- it be my go-to? You but, see it, but, but, it's, but it's different because there are alternatives to extra virgin olive oil, right? Like you could use butter. You could use a different oil. You could use salt. There's not really like an alternative. I mean, there's different types of salt, but. Salt, salt. Use lots of other spices, but it's not the same. Yeah, thing. no. So, like, salt is sort of like the the given to everything. It's like having a plate. Here, here's what I'll concede to you: in literally everything I've cooked in quarantine, both olive oil, extra virgin, and salt have been used. So, yeah, they're they're MVPs for sure. You know, butter's great, but it's not as healthy for you. Uh, if you really want to cook stuff at high heat, it's going to brown. So unless you clarify it and take all the milk solids off, you're not going to be able to get it to high heat. 
And there's all these arguments that olive oil has a smoke point that isn't high enough to do a whole bunch of cooking. And, you know, I kind of think it's malarkey, to be honest. Other than deep frying, you can use olive oil in any situation. Even someone like Thomas Keller is like, I never saute onions in olive oil because the smoke points. And I'm like, dude, you know what? You do. You do. Now look, I will say I don't I don't if it's I'm tur- if I'm turning my pan up to high heat on the oven and I'm searing something I don't usually use extra virgin olive oil. I might use a light olive oil because of the smoke because yeah, it's thing. refined and it can get hotter. Yeah, exactly. And you know, sometimes if you, and also it's an expensive product extra virgin olive oil. So you don't necessarily want to use it in certain applications. But yes, if I am throwing something in the oven to roast it, I don't care how high I'm hot I'm getting the oven. It's fine. Oh, extra virgin. It's delicious. All right. Next one. Turkey bolognese is delicious. Now, let me no, preface. No, you're so wrong. Don't no, hold on. Hold on. I, I, on. Now, listen. <laughs> listen. Mandy Patankin, the great actor, did a video a few weeks ago. It was for his, uh, I forget what, 40-some-month anniversary with his wife. And he was talking about how they were eating turkey bolognese that night or something. And people were giving him such crap online about turkey bolognese and yes i know there's technically no such thing as turkey bolognese if you're if you're an italian purist that doesn't exist that is not part of a bolognese but i'm tired of the purist i'm a look i'm a guy i'm recovering from a freaking heart attack all right and turkey ground turkey is such a versatile ingredient like like this is hypothetical you didn't have a heart attack right no i did you didn't know that when in january no i did not know this yes are you messing with me? No. You look well. Well, they, I've lost 25 pounds I'm by eating ground okay. turkey. Holy. <laughs> How did I miss that, Rob? I was I mean, I'm not texting people, "Hey, guess what? I, I had a heart attack." I threw it out there on the social, you know, but just to let people know, but you know, I'm not I'm not out there, you know, waving the flag. So that's but, a um, wake-up call. Okay, turkey. Yeah. But yeah, look, it's 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 healthier, it's leaner. I think it's versatile. Is it as good as beef or pork? No, but it's all right. Well, in light of this new information, I'm <laughs> going to take back what I said. Uh, here's the first thing we're going to do, so that people don't get upset with you, in particular Italians. Uh, you're going to stop calling it turkey bolognese. You're going to call it ragu. turkey ragu. Okay, fine, whatever. Okay. I'm called. You know what though? I'm just tired <laughs> of the purists. All right, look, everything else about it is a bolognese. You know, no, like, it's a ragu. This is the problem. Bolognese comes from Bologna. It has a I very know. specific set of ingredients. In America, we have decided to call all meat sauces Not bolognese. All. Look, here's, yeah, here's the thing. Much. I'm only swapping one ingredient, right? Everything else I'm doing is bolognese. I, I've got my onions, my celery, my carrots. I've got my uh, cream, or in this case, I'm okay, I'm, I'm using milk. It's Actually, milk is the correct ingredient in Bologna, not cream. Okay, so I'm using my milk. Good. I'm using white wine. I'm using tomato paste. Um, In my case, I'm I'm cutting out the cheese because again, I'm trying to go healthier. But I'm 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 using nutmeg. Like I'm use I'm making a bolognese, but I'm just using ground turkey. That's all. That's all. And it's very. My my thing was going to be, you know, turkey's so lean, so you don't get the same. Uh, velvety mouth feel and you should put two sticks of butter in it but i don't think you should do that <laughs> i now that's something i'd like to do in the past is, is finish my sauces with some copious butter at the end and i think Parmigiana it sounds Reggiana. fine and you know what i would do in place of uh, cheese at the end to try and help if you get one of those rotary cheese grinders and just throw some cashews in it honestly not bad the texture is dead on and it's such a neutral nut 
And that's the easiest way to grate cashews. And okay. I've done that in the past. It's nice. So now you'll be adding a little bit of protein and some, you know, some healthy uh, nut fats. When this is all over, I will make you turkey bolognese. You can come okay. over. You can try it. Anyway, next one. I think black pepper is overrated. I find red pepper flakes to be far superior for heat. I think it's not as astringent. I think it gives you a little bit of a, almost a sweetness to it. I think it has a more even burn when, especially when you throw it in something like an oil while it's heating. I don't understand people's obsessions with black pepper. I never grab black pepper when I'm cooking. I'm always grabbing red pepper flakes. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I don't even know where to go from that. You know, growing okay, up then as then a teenager, it. my early days of cooking, black pepper. Uh, I've got some romantic visions in my head of my first cookbook, Marcella Hazan's Essentials of Italian Cooking. And she would say things like three twists of the mill for pepper. And like that always stuck with me. And I, and I love the taste of all the different peppercorns you can get freshly ground. That said, yeah, man, the red pepper flakes are uh, way tastier. They're sweeter. And as of lately, going back to little black sort of cylindrical peppercorns, I'm really into Szechuan peppercorns. Oh, yeah. A little numbing really action. Good. Would you ever throw mm. those peppercorns into Italian cooking? The little fusion. I mean, I've got this chili oil that's very much by Blank Slate Kitchen, which I totally love. I'm on my third jar of it, and uh, yeah, I've done leftover pasta and I put it on there. It's fine. Nice. All right, you know what? We're going to try something different here that we've never done on hot takes on a plate here on the Believe Podcast Network. Um. This is a, uh, a PG-ish rated uh, podcast. I like to let families listen, but I'm just going to give parents a warning. I'm not. I'm not going to curse, but um, we are going to play a game. You might remember this from back in the day. Um, <laughs> it went by a different name than what I'm going to call it, but I'm going to do the PG version, PG-13. Uh, screw, Mary kill. So I'm going to throw three things out there, cooking wise. And and Frankie, again, you, you have no advance notice on this. You're going to tell me which one you're going to screw. That's the one that you're all, you know, passionate about, but isn't that important to you? Kick it to the curb. <laughs> the marry one, of course, that's your lifer. And then which one you're going to, you know, kill. It's just not that important. All right. First one. Cast iron pan. Stainless steel pan. Nonstick pan. Screw, marry, kill. Go. Ah. <sighs> I got to be honest, I, I, oh, this is a tough one. Ralph. I know it is. And if I say anything that's not in line with what I do on struggle meals, people are going to be like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> Honestly, I screw the cast iron pan. I like to use it for some things, but I find building up the patina to be kind of repulsive. I mean, you literally have decaying fats on there, you know, and you want to keep it clean, but you also want to allow that nonstick surface to build up. It has its uses. I find myself using it for very specific things where I need high heat, a good sear, and heat retention. And more often than not, that's meat. And lately, I've been cutting back on that. So I'm screwing the cast iron pan. I'm marrying the stainless steel, and I'm 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 totally getting rid of the cast iron. Stainless wait, steel. Wait, you're getting rid. You're getting rid of the cast iron. Wait, wait, wait. Stick. Screw marry kill. You said you were screwing the cast iron. I'm screwing the cast iron. I'm but marrying what, the stainless. And steel, you're killing. And you're killing. killing you're killing, the, killing non-stick? the nonstick. Okay, you're killing the nonstick. You know, I think I'm in agreement there. The, the, so, the, the the stainless steel is is your versatile 
can be used for everything. You can throw it in the oven. It's it's not nonstick, but you throw a little oil in there. That solves that problem. The nonstick is nice. My favorite thing with nonstick is reheating pizza in a nonstick oven. Mm. That's that's my go-to. Um, and I I don't actually, this kind of segues into the next one, but I don't own a toaster oven. I use a nonstick pan for toast. Um, mm. But so, so, you know, yeah, the cast iron can be a pain in the rear, but the cast iron can get you amazing results. So I and think let, I'm with Here's you. another reason why I want to marry the stainless steel. I use, I really like acidity in cooking. Acidic things in a cast iron yes. pan, not yes. good. Yes. You really taste that metallic grossness and it breaks down your patina. The other thing that I would say is, you know, nonstick is a relatively new phenomena in the cooking world, a couple decades. A a stick pan, a stainless steel pan can totally be nonstick. So here's what I want everyone to think about when they go, oh my God, everything sticks to, non, to the stainless steel pan. Metal, and, and this is like, just imagine in your head. Metal is like skin, okay? You start heating it up, the metal pores kind of start opening up. Now we put a piece of chicken in the pan. What happens? It's cold, that chicken. So the metal pores kind of close down and they grab onto the chicken. If you touch that thing right away, you can bet your bottom dollar it is going to stick. But if you allow the heat retention in the pan to recover, those metal pores will open back up and the product that you are cooking will say to you, I am released from the metal. I am ready to be flipped now. This works with eggs too. It requires a lot of finesse. But you know, it's almost like a car you'd tinker with in the garage. Is it as reliable as your Subaru? No. But does it bring you joy? Yes. This is Frankie doing Frankie right here, everyone. <laughs> this is Frankie at his most Frankiest. This is why we love him. All right. Next one. Screw, Mary kill. This is the convenience round. Microwave, toaster oven, coffee maker. I marry the coffee maker. I screw the toaster oven and I don't have a microwave. No. I'm sorry. My wife has a pacemaker, so I haven't had one for a decade. Okay, that's fair enough. Fair Period. enough. I also hate what it does texturally to food. I think it's repulsive. I'd rather take something, put it in my uh, a stainless steel pan, add a little bit of water, put it on full blast heat and hit it with some oil and like refry, use the water to get it hot again. And that's it. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't cook a ton of things in the microwave, but you know, look, if I got something left over and I just want to heat it up, it, it's simple, it's easy, it's quick, it is convenient. It is a marvel but so is a pan of... on the stovetop, Rob. Yeah, Full I save that for heat. pizza. But you know what? I don't, I kill a toaster oven. I don't need a toaster oven because I've got a nonstick pan that I can turn on and throw my toast in. I don't need a toaster oven. Also, I had an issue probably about 12 years ago where I had a toaster oven in another apartment that they were doing construction outside of and we had a little mouse infestation and they left turds in the toaster oven and I've never looked back. No toaster <laughs> oven in my life. Mice love toaster ovens because of all those little mm. crumbs. Oh. Yeah. Not, they no love good. toasters too, probably for that matter. Yeah. So, okay, next one. Acid round. Lemons, oranges, grapefruit. Screw Mary Kill. Screw the oranges, marry the lemons, and uh, kill the grapefruit. I'm with you. I'm with and, you. And the simple answer there is lemon is obviously more versatile than orange because it's it's a truly acidic, whereas orange is sweeter. Yes. But a combination of orange and lemon can kind of get you halfway to grapefruit. Perfect. I, there's nothing I can add to that. Perfect. Next one. Oh, boy, I like this one. Onions, 
garlic shallot screw mary kill oh well i'm gonna kill the shallots Re- thank you yeah i'm gonna kill the shallots. thank you and i thought i had a hot pretty much there. a hybrid of garlic and onion yes anyway. it's the so. most overrated thing shallots are so overrated look if i want the sweetness i've got the onion if i want the bite i've got the garlic why do i need the shallot yeah in my whole life i was an onion guy i've been really going nuts with the garlic in the last five years so i guess you could say i'm having an affair with garlic so i'm screwing the garlic and i'm marrying the onion i i am definitely marrying the onion it's also just easier to use like garlic is such a pain to kind of slice oh, peeling it yeah, yeah it's just annoying. but the onions so, make you cry they do but i don't know if your knife is sharp enough it's not too bad all right yeah, next i would one. say the onion's more versatile too yes you know, absolutely uh, more mass in a stock you can cook it down into a super duper sweet caramelization that's good for toppings on a burger you can't really do that with garlic uh you know marcella hazan's butter onion tomato sauce is absolutely on par with a confit garlic tomato sauce um it's the base to your turkey ragu more so than garlic is yeah you can eat it raw on a burger or a sandwich can't really do that with garlic yep all right i'm marrying the onion i'm screwing the garlic all right we're in we're in agreement again all right next one we're going pasta shapes now oh this is tough because each pasta has its specific part all right all right right. screw mary kill here we go bucatini spaghetti linguine I marry spaghetti, I screw bucatini, and I eliminate linguine. Any reason? I just really enjoy the textural bite of spaghetti when I bite through it. Uh, For me, there is no pasta in the extruded dry pasta world that is more texturally pleasing than perfectly one minute undercooked spaghetti. When I twist it around my fork and bite through, call it 25 different strands I'm going through at that point. That ding, 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 ding of going through is really, really nice. Bucatini is what opened up my world to trying different things in my uh, pubescent years. But what I don't like about it is the thickness and the hole through the center. I have so many ruined shirts as a chef and Bucatini exacerbates this problem. Spaghetti is a little more elegant. And, no, uh, I, I, Linguini's I, fine. No, my favorite. No, I'm, I'm so, so marrying Bucatini. Bucatini is probably my all-time favorite pasta. I love that extra size to that noodle, that extra bite. I love that that hollow inside. I, I spaghetti, yeah, it's yeah. I'm killing that, and I like, I like the mouthfeel also on on a on a flatter noodle. You know, I like the mouthfeel on a linguine. So I think I would probably screw that, marry the bucatini, kill the spaghetti. You you get a bigger al dente salt center. They, they call it the salt when they cross it because it looks like a piece of salt, and it is ovalized. I agree. So that's nice. But the thing with bucatini, man, I'm I'm a clean twirler and and sucker. And that hole through the middle, it, it completely, uh, you know, it, it doesn't allow pressure to build up. And I'm just sucking air through the hole. All right. I could play this game all day, but I'm going to, I'm going to, for time's sake, uh, start eliminating some of these and just go for the jugular. So let's go cheese. Ooh. All right. Screw, Mary kill. Fresh mozzarella, ricotta, mascarpone. 
I'm killing Marscapone. I'm marrying the fresh mozzarella, the one on the counter that's still warm, that hasn't been re refrigerated. When you cut into it, you actually see milk pour out of it. If you haven't had that, I highly recommend you do it. And I can, actually, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to screw the mascarpone. I'm marrying the mozzarella because of what I just told you. And I'm killing off the ricotta because ricotta, man, you just take milk, you pour it in a pan, you bring it to 180 degrees, you put a squeeze of lemon in there, it curdles. You, you oh wait! So, cloth, whoa, whoa! This feels drain, like a like a cheat. So you're cheating. So you're saying oh, you're I gonna kill ricotta because you you're gonna make your own. own. That's not Fun fair. Fact, you're you're not killing it. Then you're making your own. You know the relationship between mozzarella and ricotta. If you don't, I'll tell you. Okay. So uh, ricotta re to do again, same in English. Cotta cook re cook. So when you make mozzarella, the verb mozzare is to lop off. That's, that's how the, the balls are because you, you, you keep lopping off these balls, right? So they, they, they put their, uh, their curd in there. They're, they're lopping it off. They're bringing it all together. They've got their salt and everything. And you're left over with all this whey, this whey waste. And if you've seen it, it almost looks like water with like a tinge of cream in it. It's kind of gross looking. So, you know, Italians in, in the South where these cheeses come from, uh, they're very resourceful. They want to reuse things. They want to use as much as possible. So they take that whey waste from the mozzarella, they pour cream into it, they re-cook it, and then they curdle it and you get ricotta. Nice. Very nice. All right. Which brings me to one more sidebar. Okay. If you're making ricotta at home, you are not recooking anything. I think it should just be called cotta. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you think? I, I like that. I like that. All right. Let's, uh, do you want to do herbs or skip the herbs and go to the last no, one? No, I love herbs. All right. Let's do it. Herbs. Let's do, uh, let's do basil, parsley, and mint for screw Mary. Yeah. Kill. Screw the mint, marry the basil. And I can lose the parsley, especially because I find it to be a wintertime herb and, you know, we're coming into the heat season. I mean, the only thing I really like parsley for is a good chimichurri, but if I had to use a different herb, if I had to like play with some cilantro, which is far superior to parsley, it wouldn't be a traditional chimichurri, but I could get by on it. I, I love mint to me is that it, it's never mint to me is like the, the amazing backup singer. Like mint to me is never the star of anything I do in terms of herbs, but it is like that little sneaky bass player that kind of comes in there. So like when I make my, my pesto, I have a pesto recipe. It's two parts basil, one part mint. Oh, I'm right there with you. And it just sneaks up on you. You know, I, I just, it's a little, it's, it's, so it's the perfect, it, it, I don't know, maybe that makes it the marry because it's like the, the best friend that you're like, oh, maybe I should be with this person, you know? See, but I, I think mint could be such a hottie and you could do a chimichurri with just mint and garlic and olive oil and, you know, red wine vinegar and salt or whatever you use. You don't think it's going to rise to the occasion? I think, I, I think she's going to get the most likes on Instagram. <laughs> mint is very <laughs> controversial. People love it or hate it. I know a lot of people that like just despise mint. They think it's just so overrated. I like mint. I like mint a lot. Freshness, I, baby. I love mint. I feel so like good. cilantro is more controversial, to be honest. Well, that's that, that for a different reason, because some people literally, they're, they, it tastes like soap to them. So mm. I, I understand that. All right, last one. Beer but wine. Mint in summertime cooking and grilling, Rob. Come on. It's yes. awesome. Yes. It's that's why it's the fling. That's why I'm screwing it. You know, because I'm <laughs> no, the next 60 to 90 days, I'm gonna be 
banging that mint out on everything. <laughs> We're past All right. the PG-13 segment now. There we go. Last one. Beer, wine, cocktail. Uh, uh, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I feel like my, my opinion on this one has changed over the years. I'm not... You know, straight alcohol does not fall into the cocktail category, does it? No. You have to take so the straight alcohol and make it into something. Okay. I'm the son of a dentist. Doing, you're just doing shots. Okay. I grew up with no sugar. I have no sweet tooth. All these mixologists and bars and everything, God bless how hard they work and the flavor combinations they make. But they, the simple syrup. Yeah, but not every cocktail lips, needs a too simple much. syrup. A Negroni doesn't have a simple syrup in it. Yeah, but that, but you know, it's still a thick, yes. viscous drink. Yes. I, is it the Campari? Yeah. That's it, well, no, so it's it's the sweet sugary. vermouth that's real. Well, it's the sweet vermouth and the Campari. Campari that's gonna, sugary. Yes. So I'm I'm marrying wine. I'm I'm screwing beer. Even though right now I'm really enjoying beer. You know, I I would have said ten years ago I would have married beer. I would have screwed the cocktail and I think I would have killed the wine. And now I am a marry the wine, mm-hmm. sc- still screwing the cocktail and I'm killing the beer. I just, the older I get, I can't break down beer. Like the whole beer belly thing. It's just yeah. like one beer. It just feels heavy to me. I just like, I can't drink more than one. I just feel like, ugh, you know, like wine, wine makes me happy now. I've done, a, I've opened up my mind to it. I enjoy it now. And that's what it's all about. Opening up your mind in the kitchen, all of that. Frankie, for those, if you need to plug something, this is the time. I'm giving you the floor. If you want to plug the taste made, if you want to plug the struggle meals, do your, do your thing, man. I don't uh, really want to plug anything, but I feel like I would like to share something I've been doing the last five weeks that I haven't really told many people about. Is this um, an exclusive? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out what all this means, you know. And the people I admire in the chef world are out there on the front lines, doing as much as they possibly can to help uh, a lot of people who need meals right now. Um, I'm not able to do that. I got stuck in Idaho, <laughs> so I've been in Idaho for 51 days. That said, I've been working with my friend Michael Rouse, who's in Pennsylvania for the last five weeks, and he runs camps, ESF camps. Uh, I visited all 22 of them last summer. And this summer, I was supposed to go cook with the federal uh, budget of $3.67 per kid at these two dream camps he have, where all the, it's, it's underprivileged children from underprivileged families going to these two camps for free. One of them's at Trinity University in Hartford, and I don't know where the other one is because there's a lot of camps. Anyway, those families are seriously in need right now uh, for the past four weeks. Um, I have written recipes and made videos for them and gotten all these meals together in conjunction with this woman, Angela, at a place called Carlino's in Pennsylvania. And we've delivered 5,600 meals at $3.57 per meal, which is under what the feds give them. And uh, that was to 70 families. And this week, I just got the recipes out this morning. It's increased to 83 families. Um, so I'm kind of taking the struggle meals ethos. I'm actually even cutting out things even more. We're giving them six meals a week, five meals a week, and uh, that all the ingredients are being used. So my whole thing is 
the best way to save money on food, now this is applicable to everybody, is really not to make one recipe. It's to have a plan where the ingredients can be shared among recipes. Yes. So if you're making bean tostadas one day and you've got half of a shredded lettuce that you're going to use in the bean tostada, you got to figure out how to use that half of the shredded lettuce in something else. Otherwise, if the lettuce cost you two bucks, you, you know, you, you threw a dollar down the drain, basically, unless you use the whole thing. So that's it. I'm, I'm trying to do as much as I can from the isolation of the Northwest, trying to figure out where it goes. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to plug right now. There's the, you're right. You There's gotta a be, way to donate to that. I don't know what it is you, right you, now. You got to be versatile. You got to be creative. I mean, I had some leftover spinach last night that I made into a pesto with some walnuts I found at my in-laws house and yeah. a whole bunch of lemon and garlic and olive oil. And I served it with some pre-cooked frozen shrimp that was like shrimp cocktail style once it, you know, thawed out. But I used that pesto as like a cocktail sauce with all that acid and garlic and it worked wonderfully. It was great. Yeah. Swap ingredients out. This is what Rob is saying. You know, the sad truth is somewhere between 35 and 40% of all American groceries go directly in the garbage. If you're spending five grand a year on food for your family, I mean, you know, that's two grand gone. So if you can be more efficient with that, it's really, really great. And then, of course, the sad part is is twofold. One, that food could have gone to families in need that can't afford it. Two, when food breaks down in landfills, it produces methane gas, which is 40 times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse warming gas. Um, so the best way to save money is to use everything you can. Struggle Meals tries to do that. I'm getting real-world testing for meal plans right now with these families in need. And I would just encourage everyone, if you, uh, if you see a recipe that you like, either mine or something from Bon Appetit or New York Times Cooking or wherever you get your recipes, uh, try to link two other rep- recipes with it that use similar ingredients. And I bet you your waste goes from 40% down to 10 I mean, look, if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with Frankie Salenza's work, I think you just got a taste of why... He is so popular because you are, Frankie, I've told you this before, but not only are you entertaining, but you're super smart. You've got that, you're you're like a young Alton Brown, if if you're okay with me making that comparison. Uh, I get the thumbs up here on the Zoom. So um, make sure to check out Struggle Meals on Tastemade. It's really entertaining stuff. Frankie, thank you so much for the time. And if this is your first time tuning into Hot Takes on a Plate here on the Believe Podcast Network, make sure to follow, subscribe, like, rate all that good stuff five stars of course leave a comment as well if you like what you heard and hot takes on a plate is part of the believe podcast network that's b-l-e-a-v check them out at b-l-e-a-v.com till next time i'm rob patrone oh make sure to check me out by the way on instagram at rob patrone tv till next time ciao Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.